Would you pray with me? Jesus, this morning we thank you for your word. We pray that you would work your healing and your grace in our lives as we study it. Jesus, would you open our hearts to what you have for us. And we pray that you would minister in the ways that we need as we seek to follow you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Last week we began a series on First Peter uh, called a, a Field Guide to Holiness. And we talked about how the church is a pilgrim people, how we are like sojourners. We talked about how we are a community together, how Peter calls the church that he's writing to to take on a new sort of identity together. And they're called to be born again, born again to a living hope. And his opening is full of gratitude to Jesus for all that, that Christ has done for us at the cross. And that that hope we have in him now shapes how we can respond to the various trials in life. And one of the things Peter points out is that there will be trials, and though we may be grieved, uh, we encounter those and can walk through those with a sense of hope because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We talked about how God can even use those moments and those situations to shape or to hone our character when we face real hardship. If last week uh, Peter's call is to be born again, then this week his call is to be holy. Be holy, he says. If you were to ask what sort of character is meant to mark the Christian or what sort of character is meant to mark the church's witness in the world, Peter's answer here is holiness, to be a holy people. Uh, what, does that, what does that mean, right? What does holiness actually look like? And Peter goes on to describe that we can be holy because God is holy. We can be holy because we're, we're to live in relationship with God, and that means taking on God's character, learning how to be like him in the same way you kind of take on the character sometimes of the people you hang out with. If you're with someone who jokes all the time, you may find yourself wanting to joke a bit like them. If you find someone who is always pessimistic and down about everything, you may find yourself becoming pessimistic about things in life. And in a similar way, as we spend time with God, the idea is God's character starts to rub off on us, that we become like him. And now it doesn't just happen sort of passively. There's also an intentional working on our part to choose to be holy. But God's holiness and character start to be rooted in us and start to be lived out in us. Now, that's great. It's, it's easy, though, to think about holiness uh, in a kind of a negative term, not in terms of sort of being, taking on God's character. But sometimes we think about holiness as just sort of like rule-keeping and uh, being holier than thou, right? As sort of the term or the phrase we might use as, as sort of an attitude of better than you. But holiness biblically is actually a, a, an invitation from God to live a life of virtue, to live a virtuous life. Uh, it's an invitation to put away some things and to take on other things. Look at verse 13 with me as Peter kind of launches into this section. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. 
Peter's emphasis here is we're to be thoughtful, sensible, reflective as we consider what it means to live for God here and now. And then he says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. We're to be holy because we follow a holy God, essentially. And that means not being swayed, he says, by passions of former ignorance. That's, that's your past sin, essentially. That's stuff from your old life that you need to put down and leave, leave back there. Right? He said, don't be swayed by that. You need to fight the desires of sin because you're called to be obedient children to a good father, to live in light of who he is and what he's done for you, to separate ourselves from evil. When, when Peter's thinking about holiness, it's really likely he's got Leviticus in the back of his mind. Leviticus is, is the book from Israel's scriptures, the Old Testament book. And Leviticus is all about God's people pursuing holiness. Uh, and they do that, again, because they're living in relationship with God. As God invites them into a life with him, they're called to take on his character. They're to walk in his way. Here's a, here's a, a part of Leviticus. This is Leviticus 18, 2 to 4. This is God's words to the people. He says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I'm the Lord your God. So it starts off with God is the primary subject of holiness, right? You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you. So a call right away in Leviticus you're meant to live based on who God is, not just on the people around you that you once knew or the people around you that you might be heading into, says God. You shall not walk in their statutes, but, there's no but there, but the emphasis is there. Rather, you could say, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. God at the beginning, God at the end. Some things not to do, some things to do. And notice holiness is about choosing not to take on some things, choosing not to participate in some things, putting some things down. There's a negative dimension to it, but there's also this positive dimension to it where we put some things on. We, we take up what is good and right and choose to live in it. And so it's not just, uh, it's not just saying, oh, I'm... I'm trying to be holy and I'm not going to do that or that or that. It's rather, I'm choosing to be holy and follow God and therefore I, I also want to take on some of these things. You could say that uh, the Christian life, that spiritual formation is about moving out or putting aside things that we were formerly ignorant about. That's Peter's words, right? Things that once we thought were fine but were actually sinful and hurting us. Our sin and instead choosing to follow after God. And really, it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of a question of, like, what's your, what are you oriented towards? Like, what are you facing? Like, if you're facing things that are bad for you, and you're consuming that all the time, it will have an effect in your life. But if you turn your heart and your direction towards God and pursue Him, that will start to shape your heart and life, right? It's sort of about, like, well, what, are, what will you focus on? What will you choose to be involved in? And so Peter says... Prepare for action. Be sober-minded. Uh, there's a sense of, don't fear, don't fear the cultural pressures of the day. 
rather stay focused on God, fear him alone. And he goes on too to say, listen to this part here in verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And exile, again, is this emphasis of, of people who are seeking to pursue God uh, when the world around them doesn't seem to want to pursue God, and they are feeling kind of distant, not really at home, kind of homeless in the world, feeling out of sorts, without a place to sort of be planted. And the church is sort of like that, that we live between the Advents, Jesus' first Advent and Jesus' second Advent. And we are we're to pursue holiness during that time, during the exile time, because God, who is good, who is our Father, is also our judge. That's not very comfortable or fun to talk about, but that's what Peter says. If you call on him as Father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear. And not fear in the sense of being sort of terrified of God, that he's going to come after you with a big stick, that he's just sort of the big policeman in the sky, so to speak. But fearful in the sense of a, of a sort of reverent awe for God, of honor and respect towards him, that he does love me and he does care for me, and therefore I want to obey him because he knows what's best for me. And if, if I don't want to obey him, if I choose not to, there's going to be real consequences. Uh, some of you, this is... If you had parents who cared well for you, there was moments where they would tell you things to do, and if you did them, great, and if you didn't, there was real consequences. Not necessarily because your parents were just mean, but because they actually cared for you. This morning, Noah tried to take a spoon and put it in the toaster while it was plugged in. It would not be loving of me to let him proceed with his action, would it? No! He had to stop what he was doing. He was choosing something that was dangerous for him. I knew better. I pushed the toaster back so he couldn't get to it anymore. Then told him, God knows better than we do. And sometimes in our lives we're running around trying to put metal objects in toasters, thinking it's better for us, and ignoring the evidence to be otherwise. God knows better. God says, put that away. Put that stuff away. And instead, follow me. Follow me. So Peter's first point here is a call to a holiness, a kind of new life, a kind of witness in the world that's based entirely on, on seeking God's character, living that out in our lives. And then in verses 18 to 19, he explains why we have a reason to walk in holiness, right? Becoming holy involves our efforts to some degree we have to choose not to do things like leviticus said don't follow that but follow this but ultimately god shaping us to be his people god doing work in your life god healing you and extending his grace to you is is his gift it's a gift of his sheer grace we actually don't don't make ourselves holy God makes us holy. We can't do things to sort of up the holiness quotient in our lives. But the holiness, the love of God in us is rooted in what Jesus has done on the cross for us. It's fully because of Christ that we can know God and we can choose to live a new life and we can walk in him 
and that we can be set free and redeemed. That's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Uh, it's not Jesus plus Nick's efforts that bring about salvation. No, it's fully a gift of God. Uh, Paul says it's, it's God, fully a gift of God, lest anyone should boast, right? It's not a little bit of me putting in some effort. It's fully God's gift. But once we've come to faith in Christ, and once we've chosen to live for him, God doesn't call us to sort of uh, earn our salvation by pursuing holiness, but he does call us to put in the effort of obeying him. And it's not to sort of earn something. We've already, we've already been set free and justified before God. But God then calls us to walk in obedience. So in the same way with my kids, my kids are already my kids. They've already entered into relationship with me. Them choosing to obey me or not isn't, it doesn't put their status as my kids on the line, right? It just, it's just about whether they're walking in my will or not which should be good for them. In much the same way, right, whether Noah put the spoon in the toaster doesn't change whether he's my son or not, right? In the same way, our pursuing holiness and pursuing God isn't about changing your status, your justified status as a Christian or not before God, but it's about pursuing the life that he's now called you into and putting in that effort, choosing to respond to Jesus. Uh, during the time of our exile as we wait for Christ to come again, right? During this time, here's the life you're called to. And we can do that because of what, what Christ has done on the cross for us. Uh, just this last week, a uh, few of us pastors were getting together to start to talk about a Good Friday service. And uh, just emphasizing again, as we were talking through themes and talking through order of service and worship and, and talking about what we wanted to emphasize and what we can do, uh, that at the center of our faith, regardless of some of our theological traditions, we cling to the cross of Jesus. This is what unites us. And for those of us who are around the table, despite even some of our differing theologies on, on a, a few minor things, uh, at the end of the day, we were all on the same page about what was most important. And there's something beautiful about that. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus has taken your sin and your brokenness to the cross. He's paid the price for that in full. And now he calls us to walk in obedience. First Peter 3.18, it's a little later on. We'll get there in, in a few Sundays. It says, Christ suffered once for sins. Is the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's why he went to the cross. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So Peter's call for us is to respond to what Jesus has done at the cross by calling us to live for him, to be holy, to pursue God who is holy. The spirit does that sanctifying work in us, but we're called to to say yes to that, to participate in what he wants to do in our hearts. And that means old ways of thinking and living and being sometimes need to go be put down, put behind us, uh, and, t and, and a new sort of life taken up. And I want you to notice this. Do you remember last week, if you look up at, in your Bible, up to like verse eh, 1 and 2 of First Peter 1, we talked about how Peter's writing to people from sort of all over Asia Minor, 
and there's a list of various places that he's kind of writing to, right? Galatia and Pontus and Cappadocia and Bithynia. And there's people from all over the place who likely wouldn't have a lot in common. And what Peter's done here is he's given them a new sort of communal identity that regardless of where you've been and regardless of your past and your, your, your city of origin and you know, your ethnic background, regardless of that, at the end of the day, he says, we're to pursue Jesus together. He's given them a, a new sort of communal identity, uh, a new sort of life together. They're, they're meant to be a family together. Regardless of where they've come from, uh, they're meant to follow Jesus together. So what are the implications of some of that for us uh, as we think about holiness here and now? And I think the first, the first question for us to ask is what is our attitude toward the world around us? And I think understandably, nowadays in, in a sort of post-Christian Canadian landscape, uh, there can be a lot that sort of can elicit fear or worry or concern about our culture, uh, about the direction of the world or country. I was watching a video the other day and the person who I, I don't think is of any sort of faith background just sort of mentioned, you know, there's just so much going on in the world, right? And we can feel that, uh, sort of the heaviness of that, or feel uh, that the pace of change can feel almost difficult to keep up with, that it, there's just so much happening. And I think for some of us, we can look at our sort of workplaces and schools and feel the, uh, feel the sense of, of brokenness or of sinfulness uh, really keenly. And we can feel like exiles or feel like outsiders, much like as Peter describes the church here. And the first thing I think to ask is, do we need to give those fears and worries to Jesus? Do we need to give those to Jesus? Because Peter's point here is that if we're to fear anyone, we fear God, not these other, not these other pressures, right? He says, be prepared for action, be sober-minded. Uh, that doesn't just mean to be drunk. That means, that means being thoughtful and appropriately critical of the culture around you, being being mindful, uh, yeah, thinking well about things. Is there fears uh, that get our gaze off of Christ that we need to, to give over to God and give to him? And we might need to do that because the second thing uh, that Peter calls us to, he calls the church to live publicly. Uh, that that uh, pursuing a life of holiness is not just sort of done at home, behind closed doors, uh, you know, just on Sunday. But our witness as Christians is meant to pervade every aspect of our lives. Uh, so your life at work and your life uh, out and about, uh, your life at school, your life in relationships. Um, all of that is where uh, holiness is sort of lived out. And our living for God uh, is meant to be something that's observed. It's, it, we're meant to present a, an alternative way of living in the world. It's, it's the call that holiness does in us. And, and that, that refraining from sin in our lives uh, is meant to present a sort of attractive alternative to those around us. That we re people see us and go, something's different. Something's different about you. What is that about? So we're called to be holy. We're called to be witnesses in the city. Uh, and that means we have to ask those questions. What, what do we imagine the world to be? Is it the big bad place we have to get away from? Or is the world the people for whom Christ died and unto whom we've been sent. 
as ambassadors and as witnesses. So there's a call here to, to outreach and to discipleship uh, in some deeper sense as well. There's a call to grow in holiness, isn't there? There's a call to, to intentionally choose uh, to pursue Jesus, to let him grow in us, to not be stagnant. And so one of the questions is, is how are you being discipled? And are you growing in spiritual formation? Are you doing that work? You'll be formed by something in your life. Uh, you'll always be formed by something. You'll always worship something. Uh, so you have to choose whether that will be God or something else. So those sort of three questions for us. Are you being discipled? Uh, how are you living out God's holiness in your life? And are there sins you need to put away? There's a, there's a real call here in First Peter to put away things of, of a former life. Here's a contemporary example that I think is helpful for us is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer uh, was a German pastor and theologian. He lived during World War II, uh, was killed in the concentration camp right before the war ended. And Bonhoeffer took uh, pursuing Christ really seriously. He took the holy life really seriously. He was far from perfect. This isn't a perfect example of pursuing holiness, but he's, he is a helpful example of, of wanting to work with God and growing in a virtuous life. And Richard Foster, writing about Bonhoeffer, says these six things were part of Bonhoeffer's life. He took Jesus seriously. He took Jesus' call to discipleship seriously. He took spiritual discipline seriously, as, as his training in holiness he took seriously. And what helped Bonhoeffer resist the cult of Nazism, where so many were lured in by the lie, was the fact that he took Christ seriously as his Lord and Savior. And he chose, in light of that, to, to live a free, uh, responsible, to live with obedient action in the world. See, being holy isn't just about sort of pursuing something, in, kind of like I said, in closed doors in your own sort of quiet time. It's something that's lived out publicly. That was the case for Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer took the purity of the church seriously. He said we should have no other gods before Jesus. And his own words, you can hear sort of the call to, to action and to holiness here. This is Bonhoeffer's own words. He said, Jesus is there only for others. Our relationship to God is not a, a religious relationship, but our relation to God is a new life that's lived in existence to others. Through participation in the being of Jesus, the church is the church only when it exists for others. We have a deep sense of, of living not for ourselves but for the world. And that's sort of summarized when we think about holiness uh, from some of these other authors. I think, again, of Richard Foster. He, he, he says, holiness is not about rules and regulations. It's not an elaborate list of do's and don'ts. That sort of legalism will fail to capture the heart of holy living for Christ. Isn't that true? When you've been, sometimes when you've been asked to just follow lists of do's and don'ts, it's sort of the heart of maybe why you pursue that thing kind of comes out the bottom. Um, and that can happen with raising kids, too. If you just tell them the do's and don'ts, they, they fail to get the why a lot of the time, uh, why we might have rules in place. But holiness is not about legalism. It's about the formation of our character. Holy life happens right in the middle of everyday life. It's not works righteousness. I don't have the willpower to make ourselves righteous. But works is about the effort of joining in with what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's what holiness is. Obeying the call of Jesus in your life. 
And holiness is not about perfectionism. You will fail. We will fail. But holiness is about cultivating that life with God, deepening a life with God, becoming more and more the people that God is shaping us to be. And so this week, in light of that, uh, I put uh, something in your bulletin regarding cultivating holiness. Peter calls us to be active in pursuing holiness. And that means a lifestyle that's marked by God's character and God's instruction, not by sin. Um, but I think many of us probably struggle with habitual sins if we're honest with ourselves. There's things in our life that we need to put away. Uh, and so I want to commend to you the practice of repentance. Repentance keeps us honest. It keeps us open to God's forgiveness. It keeps us open to one another. Uh, and then I've listed a couple practical ways that you can pursue repentance this week. Maybe take some time. If, you, if there's something that's on your heart that the Spirit has put on your heart, find someone that uh, you love and respect, uh, uh, maybe a parent or a pastor or a, a confidant who can be a friend to you, someone that you can tell what's going on in your life and they can pray with you and love you and extend God's forgiveness over you, maybe hold you accountable if that's what you need. The other thing that all of us can do is simply make a list of the things in our lives that we think, I just need to put some of this away. <laughs> There's stuff here I need, to, I need to stop doing. And as you make that list, then sit back and go and meditate on 1 John 1.9 and pray that and write a response to God. and Let that work of, of repentance be a step towards holiness in your own life. So we're going to come to the table. Let's pray. Uh, to that end that God would work his holiness in us and uh, as we come to the table that it would be a step of, of saying we choose Christ as our Lord and our Savior that we want to walk with him Jesus we thank you so much for this morning we thank you that you need us uh, in our brokenness and in our need uh, that you work your healing and your grace in us uh, we ask Lord, that you would minister to us as we come to this table. Uh, Jesus, that it would be a step of walking in holiness with you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, bloodshed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So Holy Spirit, we pray over these gifts today and over this body that you would shape us to be more like you, that we would be your body broken and given for the world. Lord, that you would work your holiness in us, and as we seek to pursue you, Lord, you would honor a desire in our hearts uh, to be more like you. We ask this in your name. Amen.